we're about to come upon the uh, section of scripture that most people can quote by heart, at least one or two verses from here. And uh, where we left off last week was where he said, we have concluded this. He says, the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he says that we, he died, that we who live might no longer live for ourselves, but for him that died for us. And then he says this, therefore from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Huge thought. We don't recognize anyone according to the flesh. Now, he's talking about those who are born again. He's talking about those who are walking by the Spirit, who are walking in the Spirit. He said, we come to a certain place in time where we recognize once we're born again, we stop looking at each other in a fleshly way. We stop looking at each other. What that means is, it means that I don't judge you based on the talents or the habits or the, the past behavior that you brought to the table. I begin to look at you as someone who is reborn, and I begin to look at you in a spiritual way and, and, and know you in a spiritual way. What does that mean? That sounds kind of strange that we would know each other in a spiritual way. What it means is, is that uh, I no longer look at the person who seems to have the most talent in the room as the one that we need to look to as the leader or maybe I don't need to look to the richest person as the one that needs to run the church uh, finance account. Things like that are, are different when you come into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 says he chose the weak. He chose the not so noble. He chose the, the, the not as wise as according to the flesh as some other people. And he chose them so that he could use them and confound the wise. Now, if he was going to confound the wise, they didn't stay stupid, did they? Like if he's using people that weren't that smart... And he says, I'm going to use these people that aren't so smart in such a way that it's going to bring me glory and the world's going to see, wow, God must have done this. Well, obviously, he's not just going to leave them and say, well, you know, do your best, fumble around, see what you can do. Or else the world wouldn't, the, the world would say, well, that's just like we thought. The world would give God no extra glory because these people did exactly what was expected of them. No, what gives God glory is when he takes people that didn't have the, the talent or the ability or the education coming into it, and he uses them in such a way, he empowers them in such a way that they can do what they couldn't do before. They can be who they couldn't be before. Because he goes on to say, he has, he has become to us, Jesus has become to us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. These are the things he became to us. So if I wasn't that wise, Jesus became my wisdom. And if I wasn't that sanctified, he became my sanctification. And if I wasn't, if I wasn't redeemed before, I am now. Amen. And so this is a wonderful thing that he took those that might not be on the top of the barrel before, and he's using them in great and mighty ways. And so if he's going to do that, if he's going to use people in ways we wouldn't expect, then we have to stop looking at each other like we used to look at each other. Because the truth of the matter is God can use people and we still have to make a choice whether we're going to receive them in that way or not. Have you ever had somebody, uh, you know, I mean, I, growing up in the church, we had lots of, I got to see lots of guest speakers and special speakers. And, you know, some of them had a manner at first that, that was off-putting almost. You know, it was, it was like they just didn't seem like somebody I'd listen to. And you had to learn to get past that layer of 
of whatever their style was or whatever their education was. And you had to learn whether or not this person was being used by God. And if they were being used by God, you had to learn to get over your issues and hear them and hear them not as a person, but as somebody that God was speaking through. And that goes beyond just somebody that's speaking to us. That goes beyond, that goes to every level in the church that we who, whether you were deemed a wonderful and smart person in the world or whether you didn't really count for nothing in the world, God wants to use you. And if you were that person that brought a lot to the table, the first thing you got to get over is that feeling like God owes me something or, or that I'm, I'm God's gift to himself, you know, just getting born again. The church is so blessed to have me because look at all the things I bring to the table. Because the problem with that is if that's your attitude, you start trying to do things on your own. You start trying to rely on your own strength when God is expecting supernatural things. God, God pulls us into the, the world of impossibility. And so if we're still stuck, even if we're really talented, but we're still stuck in what we can do, we're missing the mark that he set. And so what we've got to do is rely on him. And if, if we're going to rely on him, then we've got to learn with each other that maybe this person that I've known for so long. See, when you know somebody after the flesh, you, you base your opinion on them over, you know, past experiences or uh, what you've learned about people like them or even if you've known them for a lot of years. And sometimes it's hard to see that person in a new light. Sometimes it's hard to see that person as somebody that God can use. You can imagine uh, the Corinthian church, he goes on and says at, at some point that, that they were kind of a messed up group of people. They were idolaters. They were sexually immoral. They were, um, you know, in many areas, not your quality people. And yet he said, yet you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were called. And so when God called them, there are probably people in the congregation that they said, that guy? And, and really, we should probably keep that guy just somewhere in a closet downstairs. He can, just, he can just stay behind closed doors because wouldn't it be a bad witness after all that he did? Wouldn't it be a bad witness if he was the guy in charge of this ministry or that ministry? And yet God said, well, if you're a new creation, if you're a new creature, these old things have passed away. I've given you new things. Now, look, we're going to actually read that scripture. He says this, he says, so we, we judge no one after the flesh. We recognize no one after the flesh. And that's got to include yourself too. If you're saying, I'm not going to recognize anyone after the flesh, you've got to stop recognizing yourself after the flesh. You've got to realize you're not who you used to be. You're not who you think you are. You've got to see yourself as, as you are in him. Probably the hardest, the harshest critics that we have are, is ourselves. We're the harshest. We're the hardest on ourselves. There's so many times where we judge ourselves unqualified. We judge ourselves less than able. And yet God says, you're not the one that's able. I'm the one that's able. And through me, you are more than able. Now watch what he says. We recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. So for us to judge each other after the flesh and base our opinions of each other on, on what we can see and what we can just judge by our perception is just as bad as seeing Christ as just another human being. Just seeing Christ as a, a Jesus as a, as a great teacher. Everybody in the room knows if you just think that Jesus is a great teacher, that's not enough. That can't get you born again. 
You can't follow the shepherd if you don't know that he's the, he's the good shepherd that, that lays his life down for the sheep. You really uh, won't hear his word as the word of God. You'll hear it as, a, as good philosophy. And good philosophy can always be overrode by, by experience or by your own opinion. You see, there are plenty of philosophers around, and we, we, whether you recognize them as philosophers or not, when we read these, these quotes by people or we read these books by people, we have a choice whether we're going to believe them or not. We say, well, I'm going to take a little bit of that and I'm going to take a little bit of this, but I'm not going to eat the whole thing. I mean, that guy, I saw him on TV. He had a couple of good things to say, but I really don't buy the whole thing. But you guys know that you can't treat Jesus that way. You can't say, well, he was a good teacher and most of his teachings you can take down, but that stuff about eating his flesh and drinking his blood was just strange, just straight out weird. I'm not, I'm not going to believe that part. That doesn't work. We recognize him not as a great teacher, but as the son of God, as the Messiah. And if we're going to see Jesus that way, we've got to learn to see each other as more than just what they used to be or more than the sum of talents that they bring to the table or the education that they bring to the table. I've got to recognize that everyone around me has the potential to be somebody that God can use in a way I haven't even imagined. I mean, God can use these people that I've gotten used to. And if I'm not careful, I get so used to them that I don't expect supernatural things from them. You know what I mean? When you hang around somebody long enough, you become buddy-buddy and you, you know, you go dirt biking or you go uh, fishing or whatever you do. You get to know them on a certain level, right? And sometimes those people that you know on that level, it's hard to get over that, that buddy-buddy joke-joke level. You know, it's hard to, uh, you know, you, you hung out with them on Saturday and they didn't say anything stupid. They didn't say anything wicked or evil. But on Sunday, if they, if they get up and, I, you know, say we ask them to do the offering or something and they get up and they start talking, it's a temptation to say, well, <laughs> but that's just this person. I mean, that's just my fishing buddy. I mean, come on, we were just joking around the other day. They had nothing. They really, I mean, you could, if you had known the amount of stupid jokes they made yesterday, you wouldn't hear a word they said. But that's judging somebody after the flesh. In the same way that we don't judge Jesus after the flesh, we don't judge each other after the flesh. doesn't mean that we don't come up to a certain standard. But it means that every one of you, no matter what a loser you might have thought you used to be, no matter how smart or relatively unintelligent you thought you were, no matter what your education was, I believe that the Lord can use you in such a way that it will confound the wise, that it'll make worldly people with big education marvel at what God's doing through you. And if God's going to do that, we as believers have to accept one another in that way because the temptation is we know these people. We've known them for a little bit, and it's hard to change our perception of somebody, but we've got to. Now look what he says. We don't recognize Jesus in that way any longer. And then he says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Other trans There's another translation that says, behold, all things have become new. But I like this, and I, and I tend to agree with this particular translation that says, behold, new things have come. Because in the literal language, that's all it says. It says, old things have passed away. Behold, new things. You see, 
if your life was built on these old things, you know, before you got born again, you had things that you cared about, you had things that drove you, you had things that motivated you, you had things that you liked, you had things that you desired. When you got born again, some of those things stayed the same, but most of them changed. If your goal in life was to retire at an early age and have a beautiful retirement home on the lake and a nice boat, it doesn't mean that you don't still desire that on some level, but that's no longer your goal in life. It doesn't mean that you can't have it, but it means that it is so far down the list that it doesn't even compare. You see, once we get born again, your obsession cannot be the house on the lake. It doesn't work that way. Our, our goals have shifted. Our, our attention has shifted. The thing that's most important in my life makes no sense to the rest of the world. I mean, the thing that's most important to me is the kingdom of God. Most of the world doesn't believe there is a kingdom of God. So when they look at me, my goals and priorities might seem a little off. And you might have people in your life that, that think that church is a nice thing that you do on the weekends and you get together with your friends and it's a bit of a social activity. What they don't realize is that Christianity is not just a Sunday service. It's not just church. It's Christianity is, is, is being reunited and reconciled with God himself. And once that happens, you can't stay the same. Even if you tried, why would you want to? And so he says, the old things, they've passed away. Well, did God just leave a vacuum in your life? Did he take those old things that you used to be, all those things that you're so glad you're not anymore, all those old things that you used to feel the compulsion to do, but you hated it? Maybe it was that thing that the first couple times you did it, you, you felt it was wrong, but it felt good. And then after a while, you couldn't stop. It had a hold on you. You see, we think addiction is just substances. We think addiction, when we say addiction, we think of, you know, alcohol or drugs or nicotine. But it, sin is, is, is addiction in so many ways. There are habits and patterns of behavior that are addictive. There are, there, I mean, there's jealousy that's addictive. There's, there's anger that's addictive. There are so many things that are addictive because that's the nature of sin. It baits you so that you think it's a good thing. Until you get in it, you realize it's a terrible thing, but then you can't get out. But thanks be to God that when we were born again, he crucified our flesh with him on the cross. And we don't have to do what we used to have to do. Those old compulsions, you may think that they still have you, but they don't. You know, there's an old story about an elephant, a circus elephant. You see, this is before the Humane Society really had any sway in circuses. I don't know if they have any sway now, but maybe a little bit more. And what they used to do to keep this elephant in the same spot, when he was a little baby elephant, they put a, a, a spiked ring around his leg so that if he tried to strain against the chain, the spikes would drive into his leg and it would hurt. So after a while, he stopped doing it. And after a while, they take the chain off. The elephant has no chain on his leg, and yet he doesn't try to pull against it. He doesn't try to go away. He doesn't try to go anywhere because all he remembers is that, that pain. All he remembers is, I couldn't get free before. Why can't I now? Some believers are living in a lifestyle where, you know, they used to have these things that bound them. And, and they used to just say, I've tried and I've tried and never have. And then you got born again. 
and Jesus sets you free, and you're still living as if you're in bondage, but you're not. You're still going back and saying, I can't be free. I'm just stuck. Or maybe you try to be free, but you try the same way that you used to try before you got saved. And you don't have to try it that way. You know a Savior who is the, the one who came and said one of his missions that he was anointed for was to proclaim release to the captives. Now, you didn't see Jesus go around to Roman prisons, rattling on cages, letting Jewish rebels go. He wasn't talking about physical prisoners. He was talking about all of us being imprisoned to the chains of sin, being imprisoned to the chains of the laws of sin and death, to be imprisoned to the fear of death, which Hebrews says, by the fear of death, we've been made slaves all our lives. Jesus set us free. He proclaimed release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. So even if you're still a believer and you're still stuck in those old habits and routines and patterns, and maybe you've tried to get out, but you tried the exact same way that you used to try before you got born again, but you've got a redeemer now. And so I say all that to say this. We're coming around to a point here. If he took away all those old things, if he just took those away, all the old things that you used to care most about, all the old things that you used to just be addicted to and couldn't stop, all those old negative behavior and personality traits, all, those, all that bad fruit of the flesh that you used to have in your life, if he took all that away, what's left? If he just took it away and didn't add anything to your life, if you were just empty, Do you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, if I cast out all the demons out of you, but you never occupy it with anything, they come back. He said, you got to fill that house. He said, they come back, find it swept and clean, and you've got an evil spirit that comes back with spirits seven times more wicked than himself. So he's saying, I'm not just going to cast a demon out and then you just leave it empty. You got to fill it with something. Old things have passed away, but the scripture doesn't end there. You know, I grew up in um, doing a lot of ministry um, in certain areas, and a lot of times dad would be invited to speak at at certain camp meetings and things like that. And from time to time, um, there'd be groups of people that would... uh, you know, get up and give testimonies. And I love testimonies. You know, I love giving glory to God. But we get into certain areas of Canada uh, where people would give testimonies, and it was like, it wasn't a testimony. It was like a rant on how hard it was to be a Christian or how bad life was or how sad life was. And sometimes they'd be strumming a guitar while they said it, and it was just, <laughs> it was sad. And you just, you had people crying. And, and, and they were crying, and they're saying, thank you, Jesus. And I'm going, for what? Because you, you haven't even brought Jesus up yet. Just saying, oh, man, it's tough. Oh, we got, oh, the word, the trials was the buzzword. Oh, right. You know, trials, trials. I, you know, I know about trials. I know about these things. The scripture talks about it. I've gone through them. We've gone through them. But you at some point have to go through them. I mean, they're just like, I mean, life is just trials, and there was no end to it, just sadness. Nothing, that, no, not really talking about God, not talking about Jesus and what he did, just talking about how tough it is. 
And then some would get up and just talk about all the things they used to be. And thank God. I love to hear somebody who came out of a rough life that, I mean, just, I mean, the enemy thought they had him. I love to hear the story about how that person came out and Jesus rescued him. I love it. But you know, you, you, the entirety of your life story can't just be who you used to be and you're not that anymore. Right? And we've said this, I know, if I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times. But, you know, the Bible says that you know of Jesus of Nazareth. Peter preached that sermon to Cornelius' crew. And he said, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how he went about doing good and healing all who were impressed by the, uh, oppressed by the devil. He didn't say, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, who went about and just never did one bad thing. Imagine if Jesus' life was nothing more than a series of avoiding sin. Just going around going, nope, not going to do that. Not many people knew him. He wasn't that famous. He just walked around Galilee going, not going to do that. Not hanging out with you guys. Definitely not touching her. Definitely not eating that. And, and, and people start following him. Wow, he's, he's just a weird Forrest Gump-like character. Let's follow him around. Look at all the things he doesn't do. Well, what does he do? He doesn't do much. He just, you know, he just avoids stuff. Oh, okay, good. Let's go with him. And then every now and then he'd stop and teach and say, these are the things that I don't do. Don't do them also. Oh, praise the Lord. Okay, let's follow him. We can, we, we've just developed a whole lifestyle where we follow this guy around and don't do stuff. It's the most fun you've ever had. That wasn't his life. Yes, there was stuff he, there, was, there were things he avoided and did not touch because he was the sinless lamb of God. The Bible says he was tempted in all things and yet without sin. So he became a perfect high priest for us that when we're tempted, he knows temptation. And yet at the same time, he didn't just go around going, all right, devil, hit me with another one. Go ahead, try. Nope, not going to do it. <laughs> that was a good one, though. Okay, okay, okay. Here's a good one. Give me two at once in front of the whole crowd. Give me two temptations at once. I can take it. Ha! No, I'm not going to do it. You know, that's not his life. He went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Jesus said, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. I, I am on this planet to wreck what Satan has tried to build. I'm here to redeem what God started in the beginning. I'm here to make things right. When he went around preaching the kingdom, people got healed. People were taught. People were rescued. People were delivered. People were saved. People were loved for the first time. That's the Jesus we know. So he was without sin, and yet you can say that that's not the entirety of his life, just a man without sin. He was full of the goodness and the love and the holiness of God. He was full of it. And so as believers... We can't stop at that half of the verse and go, old things have passed away. That's only half the story. Maybe not even half, because look what it says. Old things have passed away. And then he goes on to say this. Behold, new things have come. I mean, and that's so important. We, we've talked about this before, and I hope you don't mind me being redundant. But this is a word... That he puts in there, he says, old things have passed away. Then he says, look. Behold means look. 
pay attention to this. Hey, look over here. Behold. He doesn't say, behold, old things have passed away. He said, those old things have passed away. Consider them dead. Behold, new things have come. So what you're supposed to look at, what you're supposed to pay attention to is not for the rest of your life just remembering who you used to be. What you're supposed to look at are these new things. What new things? He goes on to say, now all these things are from God. All those new things that he put in you are from God. Why? Why did he put these things in you? It says this, all these things are from God who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Or sorry, I skipped, a, I skipped a bit, and it's an important bit. Let's read that again. All these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What does it mean to reconcile someone? Bring them back together, right? That's what it means to reconcile someone. So God, his whole mission was to bring humanity back to himself. We know the story. It's, it's, it's the foundation of what we believe is that sin separated us from God. From the time that Adam and Eve sinned, there was a rift between man and God and it destroyed the world. And Jesus came that that rift would be made whole and that man would be brought back to God. The only thing is not every person is brought back to God, but those that believe, those that call on the name of the Lord are saved. He made a way for us to come back to God. Think about it. Everything good on the planet, everything good, like really good, comes from the Father. The scripture says every good and perfect gift is from the Father of lights. Everything good comes from him. And everything broken in the world, everything wrong, everything bad has come from a separation from God. That was the root of it all. And when we separated from God, a curse came on the earth. Sickness came in. Death came in. You think about it. We were separated from life himself. We were separated from real love. We were separated from real joy. We were separated from everything that he is. And yet there are still, there were still elements of that. There were still remnants of that in our humanity. And yet we knew something was missing. And when Jesus came, he made that rift whole again. And he brought man and God back together. So that's huge. That's our message. Not only did God do that through Jesus, but then he said, I am going to make you a deputy, Tony. You are a minister of reconciliation. Do you know what it means to minister something? It means to serve it. It means that you've been given something to serve to someone else. That's what it means. And so to, that he gave us a ministry means he gave us something to share with the world. He gave us something to serve others with. He gave us something to, to uh, a part to play in this reconciliation. You know, see, God could have come and just started the angel all-star team. The same ones that showed up to the shepherds. And they could do the same song and maybe, maybe mix it up a little bit. And, you know, instead of glory to God in the highest, they could add a new verse, a new line. And they could do fireworks and light shows and just every now and then at, at football games or, or, you know, maybe a political event, they'd show up and they'd do their number. And they'd get a bunch of people to come back to God. But that's not how he does it. He uses us. 
We're the ministers of reconciliation. He reconciled us, then he gave us a ministry. It's not a ministry that you chased. It's not a ministry that you earned. It's not a ministry that you bought. It's a ministry that was given to you. And all those things that he put inside of you in place of those old things that have passed away, they're a part of your ministry. They're a part of your purpose on this earth. Now your number one purpose above everything else is to know him, is to give him glory, is to know him, is to love him. Even before getting people saved, even before doing anything for God, your first purpose is the same purpose that Adam and Eve had in the beginning, is to know him, is to love him, is to bring him glory. And yet we have the honor of bringing good news everywhere we go. Come on, this is a message. I mean, sometimes we're so afraid of the gospel, but here's the message. Reconciliation. Is that not a good message? I mean, it's God saying, all right, I took care of it. I took care of all those stupid things you did that pulled you away from me. I took care of it. I punished my own son. I punished Jesus. I put all of that onto him who is a part of me. And I did that for you. So now you can come back to me and you don't have to be afraid. Now you can come back to me and you're not going to die the moment you look at my face. Now you can come back to me and know what love really is and know what life really is and know joy like you've never known it before. Now you can come back and know me. The point of life, the center of life. And we get to be the ones that tell everybody that's what went down. We get to be the ones that say, hey, God's not mad anymore. We get to be the ones that say, yeah, you've royally messed up, but he royally fixed what was broken. That we're sin abounded grace, much more abounded. That's the message we get to share. And we're like, meh, I don't know. I don't know if my friends are going to like me if I tell them all that stuff. What are you telling them? Now, I realize it doesn't make sense because this is the same message the apostles brought and people tried to kill them. I know it doesn't make any sense. But you get to bring this good news. And there might be people that don't like it because just like Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, they kick against the goading of the Holy Spirit. They, 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 they fight it. They push against it. And yet there are many who have been looking for this for a long time. There are many who know something is missing. And the Bible says, and it's very clear, and there's no loopholes around it. He said, how can they believe if they've never heard? It's a big statement that just hangs in the air. Sometimes we just put all the, the responsibility on other people or even on God and just say, well, God, if you want them to come to the kingdom, that's your business. He already did his part. And his Holy Spirit's still doing his part, working on their heart. But he does not want to go around you. We say, well, God, you know, I mean, surely you've got other people who are doing a better job. And yet he picked you. It doesn't say, it doesn't say, well, there are three of us that are ministers of reconciliation. He says he gave us this ministry of reconciliation, bringing people back to God. And uh, that's a good ministry. 
And if you think, well, I am just not qualified for that kind of ministry, then you have to know as much as the old things passed away, he put new things in you. And those are the things you're meant to behold. You have to take some time and think about that. I mean, this is not just an automatic thing. But do you know that there are seeds that God planted in you that have yet to sprout above the surface that you don't even know are there? There are things he's got working on the inside of you that aren't quite ready for, for, for everybody else yet, but they're there, they're in there. And as long as you're allowing God to water these things and you're, you're allowing that soil to be receptive to him, then, then at some point these things he put inside of you are going to come to fruition and you're going to come to a place in your life where you realize I've been prepared for this moment and I didn't even know it. And there are things right now that you don't even have to wait for that are inside of you that God put there so that you could carry out his ministry of bringing the world back to God. Now, the whole world's not going to come back, but it's more than worth it for even one. And there's going to be way more than one. Think about it, guys. Think about all the times you've really, you've really let God work through you when you've told somebody about Jesus or when you've, when you've really, and I'm not just talking about doing it so that you could feel like you could say, I did that. But I'm talking about genuinely, you were moved by the love of God. You felt love for this person and you wanted to tell them about Jesus. Most of the time, they did not leave the same as you left them. Either they received Jesus or you knew that there was something that God had you put inside of them a seed that was sown in them that someone else is going to come along and water someday and someone else is going to harvest. Now imagine if every one of us in this church just in the next week found one person and let God move, move us with his love and let him speak through us and let him use us to reconcile them to God. Think how, how much multiplication would take place in a short period of time. Guys, I know it's not about numbers, but it's about people. It's about him and his, his, his work on the cross that he did so that man and God would be reconciled. And when I say man, you know women, I'm including you. It's humanity. Humanity would be reconciled back to God. This is why it's so important that we don't see each other after the flesh because we're no longer who we used to be. We're ministers. We're ministers with a special set of skills. And each of our skills differ a little bit. And when we work together, we see the plan of God for putting us together. And I'll read you, as we close, I'll read you the scripture that we were quoting earlier from 1 Corinthians 1. And we're just going to let that hang in the air, let it hang in our hearts. And though you know it, if you've read this a thousand times, can you just for a moment pretend you've never heard it? And hear it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He said in verse 26, consider your calling, brethren. That's a big thought right there. You were called. God picked you. He knew you. He chose you. He knew you with all your flaws, and yet he still called you. Consider your calling, brethren. There were not many wise according to the flesh. 
not many people that the world would think were too smart. There were not many mighty. I was talking about those people, you know, maybe those bold people that just found, found leadership easy or found speaking in front of people easy. Those mighty ones that were just natural leaders. He said, in this church, this church of Corinth, there weren't too many real high educated people. There weren't too many natural leaders. There weren't too many noble. In other words, they were the peasant folk that who would listen to them? And he said this, but God, as our, as we've loved to say for many years, it's so cool in the scripture where you see those two words, but God, which means everything we just talked about is nullified by who he is. You may not have been wise according to the flesh. You may not have been mighty. You may not have been noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things, and base means that it's very common, very peasant-like. There's nothing nice about it. And the base things of this world... And the despised, and despised doesn't mean hated. It means to take of no account. Not worth anything. The society doesn't count you worth anything. God took people that society wrote off. Sometimes even worse than actively being hated is being ignored. Sometimes worse than people not liking you are people that saying, who them? What could they ever do? But God chose these people to nullify. The, he says, the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, and that's huge, by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Consider that. Consider the fact that everything Jesus did on the planet was because he and the Father were in one another. He and the Father were one. He said, I am in you, you are in me. And then he prayed that, they, that we would be in him and he would be in us. And that we'd be one with one another. And look at what he says. By his doing, by his work, by his sacrifice, by his power, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us what we didn't have before. He became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. In other words, there will be something to boast about. There's going to be something in your life that's worth boasting about and you're going to have no choice but to say, it must have been God. It had to be him because I didn't have any of this before. There's no way I could have said that. There's no way I could have done this. There's no way I could have stood against that. But by his doing, I am who I am. The apostle Paul said it so beautifully. and We'll read it later on a few weeks later. But the apostle Paul said, by the, he said, I was the least qualified to be called an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not in vain. For I worked harder than everybody else. But not me that was working, but the grace of God in me. 
Don't you know that's, that's our life? We've been given a ministry, and it's a good one. Oh, man, aren't you glad that we don't have the Westboro Baptist ministry? Aren't you glad that we don't have to go picket funerals and stuff like that? We've been given the ministry of Jesus Christ reconciling the world back to God. Not, not splitting the world from God, but reconciling them. Now, I'm not telling you that there's reconciliation without repentance. But guys, I am telling you that all the work has been done. That the work is completed and it was done on that cross through Jesus Christ. Like the old song says, on Christ alone, on Christ the solid rock I stand, and all other ground is sinking sand. Everything else I would have put my foot on is sinking sand. It's imperative for us to come to the cross and lay everything down. We know that when it comes to our negative stuff, right? We were happy to lay our sin at the cross, but you know, you have to lay everything down. Even the things you thought were what made you special. Even the things you thought that made you something worth something on this planet. Even the things that you thought qualified you, you lay them at the cross. And you say, let's start from scratch. Me, that person and that person, as we come to the cross, everything we brought before, we lay it at the feet of Jesus. Now, I acknowledge that the Lord may have had a hand in your life getting a doctorate degree. He may have had a hand getting you a master's degree in something. He may have had a hand in you owning a business that is very successful. And that... He, he, he may say, I'm going to use that for my kingdom someday. Well, right away. Right? God can do that. Right. We see plenty of examples in the scripture where he did. But we first got to lay him down at the feet of Jesus and say, I start with nothing but the blood of Jesus. I start with nothing but who you are. My doctorate, I lay at the feet of Jesus. My business, I lay at your feet. All my accomplishments, I put down at the feet of Jesus. And it was the hardest thing for the Pharisees to ever understand. It was the hardest thing for them to do because they brought so much. The rich young ruler, same thing. He just couldn't lay anything down. He, he didn't want to start from scratch again. That's why Nicodemus the Pharisee, when he came to Jesus at night, that's why Jesus was so emphatic on this one point. If you want to enter the kingdom, you've got to start as a baby. Because the Pharisees thought they had a head start. Look at all the things I brought to the kingdom. Look at all the things I know and the things I've done. And I, I mean, I'm already halfway there. And Jesus said, you must be born again. You can't start out. You don't get a head start because all that stuff, because that was done in the flesh. You've got to start fresh. You start out as a baby, just like everybody else. And they couldn't accept it. They wouldn't accept it. Only a couple of them accepted that. And that was secretly so nobody wants to start over again, but it's the best thing you'll ever do. Bring it to the feet of Jesus and say, I am no longer who I used to be, and I'm going to know nobody after the flesh anymore. That guy that dropped out of school in grade eight, he's the same to me as that guy 
who went on to get a doctorate of theology and a doctorate of medicine or whatever. They're on equal level before God. And God could use that, that, that third grade dropout to speak to me in a way that I never could have expected, in a way that no one else could have. God is going to choose the weak and the foolish to shame the strong. So what if you say, well, what if I have education? What if I was considered strong? Oh, don't worry. There's much room in the kingdom for people like that too. You just got to start from scratch and say, all right, everything I am is because of you. Then God will use that stuff. He'll use that doctrine. He'll use that job. He'll use that experience. But it'll come after you've already laid it at his feet and said, I'm starting as a baby. Use what you will. And if you tell me to lay it down and never pick it up again, I'll lay it down and never pick it up again. You're the Lord of my life now. Old things have passed away. New things have come. And all those things are from God who gave us, who reconciled the world to himself through Jesus Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, which is God saying, come back. I want you back. I've made the way. Come back. What a beautiful message. We should embrace it. We should spread it. We should shout it from the rooftops. It's the best news the world's ever heard.